podcast with your hosts, Dennis and Michelle. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to This Week in the Bear Cave. I am your host, Dennis Zerl, and this week we are sponsored by Abode Real Estate, your professional real estate advisors in Colorado Springs and Teller County, the historic Butte Theater in Trouble Creek, Colorado, bringing you the best productions in the United States, and Animus Wellbeing, your nutritional consultants in Woodland Park, Colorado. Well, I certainly hope that all of you are staying nice and warm because the first part of this week was stupid cold. But uh, we had a nice warm fire burning in the bear cave and just kind of let Jack Frost do his thing. In the meantime, baby Jesus and the rest of the cast is still firmly frozen to the ground. So maybe by the time May rolls around, we'll be able to take down the rest of those Christmas decorations. Yeah, I know. I've become one of my pet peeves and uh, yeah, I'm so ashamed. At least we have a good show planned for you this week because we have local author Lisa Price Waltman coming into the Bear Cave today, and she has just written a book entitled Run It Out When Quitting Is Not An Option. So very much looking forward to talking with her, and maybe we'll even talk a little baseball. Who knows? Next week, we have the co-owner and operator of Woodland Fitness, Ryan Beatty, coming into the Bear Cave. And we're going to be talking about fitness and nutrition and all those things you promised to do a couple of weeks ago. And it's uh, another reason I don't make resolutions because I know I can't keep them. Rounding out the month of January is a story and a guest that I've been working on for quite some time. We have retired Border Patrol agent Heron Soto coming onto the Bear Cave hotline. And we'll be discussing the invasion of the U.S. that is currently going on in the southern border and specifically down in Texas, thanks to Sniffy Jonah's minions. And, uh, you know, I no longer call them migrants because they are illegal aliens. Just that simple. Migrants actually attempt to enter the country legally through ports of entry, whereas illegal aliens try to enter the country by any means they can. And they are assisted by cartels and Mexican immigration officials until they're told not to do so. So this promises to be a very interesting conversation. And uh, we are going to get Mr. Soto's input on that. I have to admit that I've known Heron for a very long time since we were both soldiers together in basic training, AIT, and Airborne School, and then we both went on to serve in the 82nd Airborne Division. We lost contact for a while, but he went on to a career in law enforcement as I continued my career in the U.S. Army. But uh, we reconnected a couple years ago, so I am excited to have him on the show and really get his input and expertise on what is going on and what it's like to work down there on the border and what it's like to live in southern Texas about right now with this current invasion from around the world that is going on. Coming up the first week of February, we have Heidi Villay coming into the studio, and she is the program manager for the Edge Teen Center in Woodland Park. So we'll find out what's going on with those fine folks who really do a lot for this community. So that kind of gets you up to speed on what's going on in the barricade for the next few weeks. Well, besides the political madness officially kicking off in Iowa this week with the Donald winning pretty easily on the Republican side of this crazy thing that's going on called elections. We, of course, have Lauren Boebert, who is not backing down on her carpet bagging here in Colorado. There's one story that wasn't covered by the news media for some reason. Wasn't covered by CNN, wasn't covered by Fox, ABC, NBC, all the alphabet stations that was not covered. And this is about Dr. Fakey making a closed door appearance before a congressional panel. And that happened last week. And he was joined by his former boss, Francis Collins. Yeah, it all just kind of went unnoticed. It went unreported by most, if not all, the major news outlets. And why is that? Well, I'll tell you why, because Dr. Fakey has finally been completely exposed 
And what do I mean by that? Because we've always said that he was lying and COVID was an ongoing gain of function research. Well, the fact is, is that he and Dr. Collins have finally admitted to Congress behind this closed door session that the COVID lab leak theory is credible, despite previously calling it a, quote, very destructive conspiracy, end quote, which, of course, has been shredded by Senator Rand Paul. So Dr. Francis Collins, the former head of the National Institutes of Health, testified in front of the House Coronavirus Subcommittee on Friday. That's a fancy term. Didn't even know that existed. But anyway, he testified about his role during the America's pandemic response. And Dr. Collins was involved with suppressing the theory that COVID likely escaped from a Chinese bio lab in Wuhan, China, because it implicated the agency that he headed up. And along with Dr. Fakey, they were directly responsible for the funding of the highly risky gain of function research to make the virus more transmissible and or deadly. Yeah, mission accomplished there, eggheads, because that's exactly what you did. So on this very significant U-turn, Dr. Collins told the House that the lab leak was not a conspiracy theory, which is exactly what Dr. Fakey also testified to, and that COVID had indeed escaped the lab in Wuhan. What both Fakey and Collins further did was they tried to kind of muddle and basically drug their feet on what was coming up, and that is what the definition of -of gain-of-function research is. And they made this lame attempt to kind of hide the NIH's involvement in funding the uberly dangerous research in China. So for years, these two mad so-called scientists, they funded this research and are said to have pushed for the publication of an influential scientific paper that shaped the phony narrative. And of course, that was that COVID originated in nature and they were discrediting the theory that the gain of function was the cause, right? Everybody knows that. At least they do now. The whole lie, it's centered around the theory that gain of function triggered the release of a genetically modified coronavirus from the Wuhan Institute of Virology and that this was, you know, it was improbable. It never happened. Remember, Fakey fell on his sword numerous times as uh, Rand Paul was just raking him over the coals. Well, now as of last week, this testimony really raises some very serious questions about our own government's role in suppressing and vilifying the lab leak hypothesis because we now know that this was not a conspiracy. In fact, we now know that Dr. Collins and Dr. Fakey sat in on a confidential conference call four years ago. And this was ahead of the paper's publication, which set the tone for the public's perception of the pandemic's origin for years to come. So in other words, look, if we can hide this thing and blame it on somebody else or blame it on something else, this is what is going to carry forward for the next few years. And they use their influence to pressure researchers to get rid of the lab leak theory in favor of this natural origin, that that whole phony it happened in nature kind of thing or bat soup or whatever you want to say. But guess what? There were some of us that weren't buying into it, not one bit. And like I said before, in the Bear Cave, we have said this all along, that this is bogus and something's not right. So what did these murderous doctors do? Well, they strong-armed doctors from around the world, and they strong-armed researchers into publishing one theory over all the others, and they get rid of the scientists who knew that it was a lie. Yeah, these two completely ruined the careers of capable doctors and nurses because they were trying to cover their own asses until these bombshell emails were made public by Republicans last spring, which showed that Dr. Christian Anderson co-authored the phony paper for the publication that was prompted by Fakey and Collins. 
But it goes on because these two liars, Dr. Collins and Dr. Fakey, said that they had hoped that, quote, the Nature Medicine article on the genomic sequence of SARS-CoV-2 would settle this, end quote. So that phony article and with the help of some politicians, they almost pulled it off. There were some who criticized the government efforts to shut down the economy, including schools, and favored isolating those people who are at the highest risk of severe illness, such as the elderly. So Collins sent an email to Fakey in October of 2020 saying the ideas from fringe epidemiologists who wrote the declaration required a, quote, quick and devastating published takedown, end quote. A quick and devastating published takedown. They are going to publicly come out and embarrass these people, call them liars, call them phonies because they're not following the science. How many times did we hear that? So now we know, and I keep repeating this, like I said before, right here in the bear cave, that the harm inflicted on people's mental health, especially kids who in person were barred from attending schools in person, and the complete stoppage of activities such as sports outdoors was devastating. Businesses were shut down. They were shut down right here in Teller County, and they will never recover. People have long-term mental issues because they believe that this lie was, was true and that the entire world was caught up in this crap. Now, think about this for just a minute. Getting all those jabs of poison that weren't tested or not thoroughly tested like most drugs are, it led to the coddling of your own immune systems, which are typically primed to fight pathogens simply by exposure to different germs in the environment, right? But without a baseline of immunity, cases from respiratory viruses, common colds, the flu, they have all skyrocketed because some people had several of these jabs containing these stupid poisons and have now compromised their immune systems. And if that's not enough, the government steps in and imposes lockdowns, endorses these stupid social distancing, maintaining six feet distance from others which Fakie now admits was based on, it wasn't based on any kind of science whatsoever. It was just a suggested thing to do. No scientific evidence, nothing. Six feet apart, like robots, we all stood around, remember that? So now these two murders are playing semantics as the closed door hearings continue, and they are now backtracking on earlier claims that the NIH never allocated government money to the gain-of-function research. Yet there was an email that was intercepted dated February 1st, 2020, that showed Fakie acknowledged that his commie buddies at the Wuhan University, which is better known as the Chinese intelligence arm of the Chinese communist government, are known to have been working on gain-of-function experiments to determine the molecular mechanisms associated with bat viruses adapting to human infection. And that's where it all started and where the outbreak originated, right in Wuhan. Now, I'm hoping it's only a matter of time before murder charges will be brought up against these two criminals. And I hope that uh, Rand Paul heads this all up because uh, he's been laying for fakey for a long time. Now, I'm betting that all of you Wokesters will still hold on to the idea that this was the absolute right thing to do. Yeah, tell that to Sweden who never locked down for one second and they came out on the other side just fine and probably have a stronger immune system because of it. Now, I still remember you wokesters here in Teller County were vilifying Joe Rogan when he took ivermectin and he took the other natural substances to kick COVID. And he, he did it in about three days. And you know what? I was one of them who made fun of him. Well, then I got sick a second time and I also kicked it in about four days, but without ivermectin. And I was using natural remedies and uh, kind of doing the same regimen that Joe Rogan did. And no, I did not take a third, fourth or fifth jab. That junk will never enter my body again, I guarantee you. 
I took the first two jabs and that was a huge mistake because I had, uh, I had some side effects. But anyway, I'm hoping at some point that the full testimony of these two criminals will be released to the general public. And I'm hoping it happens very soon, but I kind of doubt it as the Sniffy Joe government is in full damage control, even as they issued another lockdown for some of the national parks. And I'm sure it's probably some kind of indoor thing in California somewhere. And of course, there's been some states that have already issued mandates for masking. But watch as this campaign falls apart because I'm betting that they'll issue another lockdown of some sort or they'll try to. But there's just one thing. We are on to the con this time. And I'm willing to bet that uh, us free thinkers will not be putting any masks on or shutting our doors anytime soon. I can guarantee you that. The only thing we ask for is that Dr. Fakey and Dr. Collins, along with the Chinese officials, be brought up on murder charges for killing millions of people. I know I've said that a couple of times already, and I'm going to say it until I run out of breath. They are murderers, and they should be brought up on charges. Now, personally, I am absolutely not surprised by any of this, but I am pissed off that it appears that our own government was in some way in on this whole mind control experiment. And uh, in the Donald's defense, people were giving him a ration because he called Fakie out on it. And I really want you to think about all this kind of stuff next time you see someone in their car by themselves wearing a dirty mask. Yep, the useful idiots are still out there as we speak. Okay, rant over for now. Don't even get me started on the former president of Harvard who quit her post after she was busted for stealing someone else's work and presenting it as her own in her dissertation. Yeah, that all came out a couple of weeks ago, too. You know, I bet that they don't take away her doctorate, but instead they just kind of let her continue to lie and run her mouth hole about woke agendas and anti-Semitism, because they're really good at that at Harvard. For some reason these days, advocating for the extermination of Jewish people is somehow just fine. It's really undeniable. The stupidity is strong within the Democratic Socialists, isn't it? But then again, don't think that uh, you alt-right Republicans get a pass either. You're just as crazy. All right, just when I say the rant is over, it's not over. But uh, I'm going to take it down a notch because coming up next in the Bear Cave, it's author Lisa Price Waltman. We'll be right back. You know, moving can be stressful. I know. I've moved 13 times in 20 years and I've lived in four different states. When it finally came time to move back to Colorado, Woodland Park and Taylor County were our target locations. But before I moved back home, I was looking for a real estate broker who understood and had experience with military families and knew the area well. I found Abode Real Estate and Joshua Dorsey. I called Josh right away and it only took 35 days to not only find our forever home, but to close and move into it. Josh understood exactly what we were looking for because he's a common sense person and knows a good deal from a bad one. He'll make every effort to make sure you get the home that you absolutely want and love. As your real estate advisor, Josh will focus on client satisfaction. His business is about service and he's not happy until you're happy. Whether it's finding you a home, finding the best loan, or helping you get the most out of selling your home, Josh is there to guide you. So if you're considering a real estate professional, give Josh a call today at 719-433-4773 or email him at joshua at csabode.com. That's J-O-S-H-U-A at C-S-A-B-O-D-E.com. I'm confident that you will be completely satisfied.
Welcome back to the Bear Cave. And my guest this week is local author Lisa Price Waltman. Lisa, welcome to the Bear Cave. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. You've been kind of a closet listener of the Bear Cave for a while. I have. I have. And, and here you are. <laughs> here I am. Yeah, you don't have any matches or lighter fluid or anything like no, that. So. No, no. Uh, <laughs> I have some hairspray, uh, but I don't carry any um, any ignitables like the, the you yeah. know, the matches and all that stuff. No, I'm, you're good. Yeah, you're good. good. Yeah. Good uh, for us. Oh, yeah, yeah. Plus, I love your show, so. Oh, well, yeah. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you're a, you're a very interesting lady. And uh, when I found out that you were writing this book, I think I saw it on social media. And uh, when I saw the title of the book, I went, I wonder if she was a baseball person or softball, because how many times have you heard, okay, run it out. Yeah. Run it out. Run yeah. it out. Yeah. Over and over again, but kind of give me your background. Tell me about yourself a little bit so our listeners can get to know you. Well, I was uh, the first of my dad's four kids and uh, my mom left right after I was born. So he was a single dad back in the early 60s. So there weren't any daycares and cheese and milk programs and stuff like that. So being raised by a single dad back then, that's kind of the foundation of who I am. And where did you grow up? Midwest, Illinois, Missouri. And then uh, one of the coolest things was he met my stepmom. She became my mom when I was about four or five, I think. And then they had two more kids. So then there, oh, were, wow. there, there were six of us. So we were a big group and uh, we moved around a bit. He was a tile setter, but he had many passions. One was race cars, like we were talking about. And also one was baseball. And I was kind of dad's little girl and we did everything together. So if we were working in the garage, we would be listening to a, uh, a baseball game, you know, on the radio. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, you grow up, I continued to play softball. Uh, I got married when I was 22 to an Air Force officer, moved out and lived all over the world, had two kids of my own, best kids in the world, of course. Yeah. Um, I'm an avid motorcycle rider. I am a huge pet person and I love to write. Writing has always been my passion. And I honestly thought that I was never really smart enough to do that. And so that was a personal challenge. Really? For me to go, yes, you are. Was your interest in motorcycles direct cause of your gearhead dad? And I mean, you kind of grew up in a garage. Yeah. Yeah. So my dad always claimed he wasn't a mechanic, but we never (laughs) had any money. So we had to fix all of our own stuff, you know, all the time. It's funny because uh, a lot of grassroots racers that I've filmed with in the past are just like that. You have these, these garages that are in the Midwest or wherever they're at. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones who are wrenching on their cars. And mm-hmm. it's, it's almost like a movie, you know, it's like, <laughs> Oh, you know, Bubba's going to show up and, you know, work on the transmission today. And it's uh, like, what is going on here? It's not like Roush racing or anything like that. No, no. And so, you know, he was, he was a character. Um, did he run moonshine? He did run moonshine. That's yeah. how he got his, his need for speed. And he did pass that on to me. My guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny when you look at the uh, history of stock car racing, that's where it all kind of started. It started mm-hmm. in, in, uh, in the South and just, you know, running shine. Yeah. On those back roads and not getting caught. Yeah. Yeah. And those the whole guys lights off thing. And yeah. Wow. I know. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. So you really didn't know your mother then? No, she left shortly after I was born. I um, contracted uh, spinal meningitis when I was an infant and um, wow, they just said there's nothing else we can do. So she was fine with three kids. She probably would have been fine with four kids, but she didn't really want a retarded kid. And that's what they called them then. Wow. Because of the brain damage. They weren't really sure, you know, how I would turn out and look at me now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Success story. Big yeah. time. Well, maybe not that. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever meet her later on in life or did you even care? Uh, she came back once when I was in third grade 
And I just remember my mom, AKA my stepmom. I remember her crying in the living room and I just remember whoever it is that's making my mom cry. I don't like them. And I didn't know who she was. So yeah. Yeah. And that was the only time I saw her. Wow. But it taught me how to be a mom as it taught me how not to be a mom. Good point. She favored the ones that she gave birth to for sure, but she stayed, you know, she didn't have to, but she did. And, and I will be forever grateful. You know, it's hard to be a step parent. Not that I'm one, but my uh, wife now, yeah. it's, it was tough. Yeah, I bet. I have not been a step mom in my 21 years of being divorced, but, um, it has to be tough. And yeah. we didn't make it any easier on her the four or Bob's kids that came out first. One did. <laughs> good point. Yeah. When did uh, athletics start coming into your life? That was from my dad as well. Like I said, in the garage, listening to baseball. When we had a chance to sit down and watch baseball together, he would just know like some guy that hasn't had a hit, he's due. And sure enough, man, it gets like a triple or a home run. And I thought, my dad must be magic. You know, (laughs) how does he know this stuff? Why aren't you a scout for someone? I know, dad. Why are we living, you know, like a pauper? No. (laughs) All that racing. Oh, yeah. All that racing. That stuff costs money. Yeah, it does. And then, you know, once he had four kids, I I do remember going to quarter mile dirt tracks and he'd give us pieces of cardboard to put over our heads for that fourth turn, all that mud. You know, and, and, and we listened and we paid attention, but he loved baseball. And in the 60s, there was nowhere for girls to play baseball, but he wanted to teach his four girls how to play baseball. Were you a Cardinals fan? Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> Stupid oh, question. Oh yes, absolutely. Bush Stadium. Of course. Yeah, yeah. My first baseball game. So yeah, it was, it was fun. And he taught us how to play and he, we played on these open fields because we went into town and asked, Hey, can we use the little league fields when they're not being used? This is so sixties. Isn't it? I did isn't the it? same thing. We, we just find a field somewhere yeah. and just uh, start playing. Yeah. With just enough opening between the trees, you know? And, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so he went to the little league fields and, and they said, no, those are just for the boys. And you know, this is before title nine and, yeah. and all that. So the VFW, he was, he wasn't in Pearl Harbor, but he was stationed outside of Pearl Harbor when it happened. Wow. And uh, the VFW gave us some land. And so the prices went and we built a field and he started teaching the local girls. I was 10, so I was only a bat, you know, a bat girl. But uh, he started teaching local girls and then word got out from other small towns in Illinois. And then we built this field and they came. Was Kevin Costner there at the time? Uh, no, I wish. I would, have, I would have asked him out at 10. Yeah. Yeah. I would yeah. have said, hey, why don't we go get some pixie sticks, you know? There you Come go. On. Yeah. I got a prenup, so yeah. don't, uh, <laughs> nothing funny, dude. Right, exactly. So that's how it all started with, with softball with me. And then I continued to play and uh, back on this field that we built, which is where I came up with the name of the book. He used to tell us, even if you hit the ball to the pitcher, Five things have to happen. She has to stop it. She has to transfer it. She has to make a good throw. She has to throw it to the baseman. And the baseman either has to tag you or tag the bag. You have one job, run it out. And if he saw us like peeling off of the base before we tag the base, you go into the dugout and he's looking at his clipboard and he's not even looking at me. And he'd say, that's one Lisa K. Call me by my middle initial. And I'm like, but dad, and he's like, that's two. You want to keep it up? And I'm like, no, sir. What that meant was, Outside of the area that we maintained as a family and took care of that field, we had to run laps out in the untaken care of area. And there were- He was a coach and a dad. Oh my goodness. And there were times I just prayed for anybody else to be my coach. (laughs) I'm just like, I don't want to hear this at breakfast too. 
Well, as a kid, you don't really understand in in the 60s, too. I mean, it it was tough. I remember I tried to play Little League when I was like seven, and you had to be eight. Yeah, yeah. And I I picked up a glove probably at five, Mm -hmm. you know, back Mm -hmm. in the 60s. I came from a poor household. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't have any money. So it was always, you know, it was baseball and it was sports. That was our outlet. Exactly. Kickball. Yeah. Dodgeball. When the sun went down, that's when you came home. And there was, you know, parents weren't hovering around you all the time. They're just like, get the hell out and go get some fresh air. Get outside. Yeah. Go eat some dirt. Yeah, exactly. You know? (laughs) Make some mistakes. You know, I'll see you later. Be home for dinner. So your dad, was he the biggest inspiration for this book? He was. And in all honesty, he's the biggest inspiration for my life. Let me go back a little bit. So you played sports through high school and and, uh, college? I didn't go on to college to play because at the time there were no softball teams for girls. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Back in those days. Yeah. They were just for the boys. And uh, now, ironically, we're dealing with another Title IX issue with yeah. with competition being so different now. That's crazy, though, it, isn't it? It just it pisses me off. So if I showed up on the women's softball team and say, I identify as a, a girl, mm, and yeah. uh, I would probably yeah. be eating a bat right now. Yeah, you would by about in the back 10 or 12 players. Yeah, because It's so bizarre, isn't it? It, it is, and it's, and it's unfair. And Absolutely Not unfair. that anyone asked me, but I think it should be... Like another movie, it should be a league of their own. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, and and you have the same genders competing with the same genders. I never thought that I wanted to go and compete on a baseball team and try and beat out a a dude on a baseball team. You know, once you go through puberty, things happen to your body and you can't undo that. Well, we have dudes competing in MMA because, you know, I I lived in the MMA world for a long time, you know, producing and, and directing that kind of stuff. And we have dudes in there who are competing against women. And now yeah. we have USA Boxing. Yes. Who's going to sanction with, I'm with you. They mm-hmm. should have their own league. Yeah. Because physiologically, I don't care how many, you know, testosterone pills or estrogen pills you take. My hand is going to be bigger. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm going to cover more service in the water or whatever. I mean, it's just, we keep getting told to follow the science, but yet we're not following the science. Yeah. And and it's like, I have no issue one way or the other, transgender or, you know, LBGTQ. I am a live and let live person. I truly am. But when it comes down to sports and competition, when it's a physical challenge, yeah, body against body, um, our bodies are different. Absolutely. And whether you choose to you know, identify as, as something else, that's fine. But I don't really want to compete against a man. I'm kind of with Dave Chappelle. I just call everybody the alphabet people because there's a new letter that gets added on every time. I can't I keep know. up with it. I know. And so again, I'm living, let live. And a lot of people would, you know, like my ex-husband used to tell me, general's wives don't play softball. And I said, well, this one does. a girl. So, you know, it's like you do you. Yeah. you know, how is this hurting you? This is not me playing softball as a general's wife is not hurting you. And people should do their own thing. But was he a general? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's impressive. Yeah. It was a good ride. It was, it was a a fun life. Yeah. You know, traveling around and stuff. It was hard though, because the military and the wife and the family of military people, it is, it's not something you see in the civilian sector. It's a weird hierarchy too, when you get up Mm. to the general officer level, Mm -hmm. because there's certain things that are expected out of your spouse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was a senior enlisted kind of guy and it was, uh, you know, it was almost the same kind of thing. Yeah. It gets very political and that's where it doesn't get fun anymore. Yeah. In fact, the day that I got married, my dad and I were in the back of the church and they're playing, you know, whatever song it was. I don't recall, but. In a God of Davida. <laughs> 
That was my dad's request. Yeah, death metal. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, he just wasn't going to walk me down the aisle. And I'm like, dad, we got to go. You know, there's like 250 people out there. And he was an enlisted man, as were my brothers all in the Navy. And his view of officers, spouses, officers' wives at the time, yeah. because there weren't any military emails that were that high up. But um, he just said, I don't want it to change you. And what he saw, he had a valid concern. And I'm like, dad, it's not going to change you. He's like, we don't have to do this. We don't have to get married. We'll still go back. The band is still there. The food's still there. And I'm like, dad. He's trying to talk you out of it. He was. It's like like a best man. Are you sure you want to do this? (laughs) I go, dad, where were you for the entire two years we were dating? Okay. So yeah. when Watching baseball. um, We were watching baseball. That's right. So again, do you. You're the best you. Nobody else can do what you do as an individual. But when it comes down to sports, I just don't think it's, I don't think it's fair. No, I agree with I you. I think it's unfair. It's, it's unbalanced. Now you played some pretty high level softball in, yeah. your, in your career. Yeah, I did. Uh, as I said, I continued to play while I was married and um, I would always have some broken bone or some huge bandages on my knees. And that's, we like, were comparing fingers before yeah. we started recording. Yeah. We're all gnar- gnarled up, you know, yes, we are. Mine's from volleyball, yours is from softball. And- exactly. And it just didn't fit the norm, you know, in my married life. But I continued, like I told my dad, I'm going to do me. And I continued to play much to his dismay. And I made the best friends throughout my entire young adult life up until I was about 40. And then got divorced at 41, I think. Um, I tried out for a team that was local here. So anyway, our team was Skyhawks and we had a private sponsor and I made the team. And it's kind of funny because we moved here on a Sunday and I tried out on Thursday. We didn't live at this altitude. We lived in Omaha. Oh, yeah. And so I recall hitting this triple and being on third base and thinking, I need an ambulance. (laughs) I I think I'm going to die. So anyway, I made that team and that team traveled around the country. So we we went on planes and we took road trips and we went all over the place to qualify for the Women's World Series. And we did. And so we flew out to Florida, which at the time it was called Disney's Wide World of Sports Arena. And now I think... ESPN owns it. Yeah, yeah. Still the same place and all that. So we went out there and got our clocks cleaned by a team from Detroit. But man, was it an experience. Did and they rob you afterwards? Or? No, <laughs> we were good. Okay, <laughs> we just check it. Yeah, no. I mean, just to get there at a tournament at that level. I mean, I, I hit those levels in volleyball and it's just exciting. You get there, it's almost surreal. It is surreal. It was. And that part is in the book as well. And I guess as I stood there, at home plate, also a lefty like you. And I'm just looking around at these great big lights in this field and biggest field I'd ever played on. And they're announcing your name. And wow, that's cool. And you know, my dad was, was gone by then. He had died about five years before that. And I was like, made it dad. We made it. Yeah. Well, let's, you know, fast forward a little bit. So now you're single, you're single mom, you're Mm -hmm. doing your thing, riding Harleys and yeah. <laughs> Whatever you're doing. All of that. When does the idea for I Need to Write a Book come into your mind? Well, I have always had a passion for writing as long as I can remember. I still have journals from when I was in grade school. Wow. Painfully shy. Painfully shy. People used to bully me and do things that I, I get the bully lifestyle as yeah. far as being the victim. And writing was always my my outlet and music and singing. And um, so I had written Gosh, as a freelance writer throughout my adult life, and I'd always wanted to write 
this book about my experience growing up single dad, 60, you know, this, everything that we just talked about. And like I said, I always thought I wasn't smart enough. Smart people write books, right? Maybe I'm not that smart. Maybe it's a stupid idea, but I did a presentation at a networking group and I'm terrified to speak in public and people say, no, you're a natural. No, I'm terrified. But I did this presentation and they wanted us to talk about what makes us tick, what makes us go, what makes us, you know, what's our drive. And I told the story about my dad and the field and run it out and how so many times in my life it, you know, cut a deer in half on a motorcycle, which I did on 24. Wow. And those times that you just go, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Wait a minute. You were on your bike and you hit a deer. and Yeah, that was a thing. Was it nighttime kind no, of thing? it was 3.30 in the afternoon. No kidding. Right up there by um, middle school, I believe it is, on 24. Wow. Yeah. You weren't injured? Oh, yes. Yeah. In fact, um, that's where TBI and PTSD and it's not just for soldiers, <sighs> you know. And my kids were in, in college and I'm like, how am I going to do this? And I remember there's several instances in my life that I've thought, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And, you know, you sit down, you start to cry and I don't like to cry because it makes your face hurt. But um, I'm like, I think I'm beat. I I think they got me on this one. And I'm sitting there on this braided rug in the middle of my living room. And I'm thinking, I can't even get upstairs to shower. I live alone. I have two big dogs. I can't even go buy the dog food. I can't drive. And that's like a, a rock bottom moment right there. It was because it was physical and yeah. I, and it wiped my brain. I didn't know what a fork was called. I didn't know what earrings were called. I didn't know anything. And so I'm living in this big house by myself with my two dogs. And uh, I just was saying, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And I heard either audibly or internally, you're going to run it out, Lisa Kay. And then I just kind of dried my little tears and said, yeah, but I don't have a clue how to run this one out, Dad. Wow. But he's like, you can run it out. And so I learned how to accept help. When people said, do you want me to take you to the grocery store? I would tell people, no, my kids were frustrated. Why didn't you accept help from friends? You were always the first person there to help. Why don't you let them help you? Well, they have their lives, you know, they're busy. and You know, that's funny because this is the product of being children of the greatest generation. Exactly. So you're, you're going through this whole trauma. Yeah. And, you know, I, I thought, okay, so I got off my little pity pot and um, I learned how to go up the stairs by my butt, you know, and come down the stairs, feet, butt, feet, butt, all that stuff. I accepted help from people when they said, you need to go to the store. Yes, I do. Because my sons had said, both of them in college, I can't believe your friends aren't helping. I said, they are. And then my one son said, and I'll never forget this. He said, you must think you're pretty special. And I said, I don't think I'm special at all. What do you mean? And he goes, you know the joy of helping others. You do it all the time. But yet you decide that you're going to deny other people that joy to help you. You must think you're pretty special. Wow. And I was like, the mother in me was like, don't talk to me that way. I'm your mother. You know, but I just sat there and. It's a wake up call from your own kid. It was. And I thought, okay, time to say yes. When someone said, can I help you? So I did. And that was a huge lesson. And as I'm doing this presentation in front of this networking group, I mean, several people came up at the end and and said, oh my gosh, that was so, I learned so much from that. One gal in particular came up and said, I have a daughter. I'm a single mom. I have a daughter and a son and um, my daughter plays softball. She's really good at it, but she doesn't have the confidence, especially in her batting and her hitting. So would you want to talk with her? Or So I started mentoring her. 
And we'd go to the batting cages. We'd work on her hitting. We'd work on all kinds of stuff. I'd go to her games all over Colorado Springs. And she went on to play in college. Wow, good for you. Yeah, because now there's, you know, softball in college. So, and and I've been a, a softball coach many times. And these girls don't go on to play in college because of me. They go on to play because they have the ability. Right. They have the willingness to learn. They have the want to improve and they don't give up. They, they run it out. And um, I just thought, you know, I've had some interesting challenges that are broad spectrum. You know, um, right. there was you know sexual abuse, not by my family, but we were talking earlier about, you know, how men used to settle things in the, in the, in the day, back in the day. And oh, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, my dad being a single dad, you know, we had to stay with some families from time to time and, and that was there. And, you know, that, that's a huge impact on anybody's life. Oh, absolutely. You know, and you, you've got to do all kinds of things to overcome that in your adult world. And based back from, you know, being raised by a single dad, that kind of stuff, being taught the, the art of sports and music and, you know, some hard knocks and coming up through the loser's bracket a lot. And I just thought, I need to put this down. I've got to think that it's so cathartic. The first day you sit down and you write that first sentence, what was that like? I was like, I didn't tell anybody I was going to write it because I don't want to disappoint people, right? So I moved up here to Woodland Park. I would always escape to get to the mountains because the mountains feed my spirit. Absolutely. So I sold my house at 21 years during COVID, moved up here, lived with Kelly for four months because I had nowhere to go <laughs> until I found my home. We have a very similar story <laughs> about our migration to we Teller do. County. That's funny. Right. Yeah. And we're both like in the arts. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, so I moved up here and I have a beautiful view of Pikes Peak and all the mountains that surround me. And I just thought it's time to put the pencil to the paper. And I didn't even know how to write the first sentence. And so I thought, you're thinking about this too much. Just write the first damn sentence. Yeah. And so I did. And it was about, he, he was a, a calloused man and his hand showed it in his, his heart as well. And it just started going into my dad. And I continued to write about my dad. And then that was introducing the coach. Then after the, the first inning, which is what my chapters are, there's seven innings. Oh, that's cool. Because there's seven innings in, in women's softball. And then there's extra innings. So the first inning is about the coach. Second one is about the team. And so on and so forth. There is, you know, the injured reserve. You know, that would be the motorcycle accident time. Very tough time to come off of that list, come off that injured reserve list. And just challenges along the way that I use those words that my dad taught me. So this book is a living, breathing kind of metaphor of your life. Pretty much. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of people can identify with many of the innings that they've either experienced that or their spouse has or their mate. And uh, yes, yeah, so I thought, you know, just like you and I have so many similarities, you know, that's the one thing you want to do is just reach people. And my goal of Run It Out is to reach one person. And I hope that one person reaches another person. And especially this day and age, I think a lot of people, maybe the younger generation thinks, oh, I've got it so tough, you know, and my story isn't a story of, oh, I had this really crappy life. Right. It could have been crappy, um, but got to pick yourself up, man. You know, it's not going to be delivered to you. Absolutely. You don't get home runs by stepping out of the batter's box. 
you got to step in and you get hit by the ball and you get knocked over and, you know, you got busted up fingers till you're in your 60s. So, yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. You can't tell that we're baseball fans in no, the Barricade. If, any, if anybody came in here, they'd go, um, <laughs> oh, you play much? Yeah. Oh, what what is that game again? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. So you, you write the book, you get that done. And, and then where do you go from there? Are you self-published or how does that all kind of work? No, I am not self-published. I have a publisher out of Austin. Texas. And she has a, an amazing team of graphic artists and um, editors and all that good stuff. Is this a search that goes on? I mean, did you know this person before? Because this is a lot of work. It is a lot of work. And I knew I could do the writing part, but I didn't want to do the business part. Yeah. And I'm in business development in my regular <laughs> life. So I'm like, so okay. irony there. Yeah. I'm like, I know how to do this, but it's different when you're doing it for yourself. It kind of feels braggy. You know, I do stand up for myself, though. That's the one thing my dad taught me. And, you know, when you're one of Bob's kids, you know, take what you get. And yeah. uh, if you cross that line, it's not going to be a pretty, a pretty view on the other side. <laughs> so you find a publisher. Just kind of take me through that process. This this has got to be you got to have some patience, I would imagine. Uh, yes. Yeah. So a mutual friend of mine, he actually went to the Air Force Academy with my ex-husband. Oh, I didn't know him during any of that time that I was married. The 21 years. I meet him at a whiskey bar. My girlfriend and I, Audra, also a single mom, we went out and we went to this whiskey place. It was up on the north end of Colorado Springs. And um, these group of people are sitting there and we just all start talking. And I meet Russ Laney and he throws this challenge out like, I, I bet I can tell you who your ex-husband was. And I'm like, I have just met you. You have no idea. You don't even know my name, you know. And he tells me and I'm like, what? They went to the academy together. Like, so, this guy a stalker or what is he? Like, <laughs> right. Sampling shots of whiskey and all of a sudden this dude is like, uh, knows uh, everything I, about I, me. I know your ex-husband. Like, <laughs> really will tell him I said hi. Slowly reaching for my gun. <laughs> right. Yeah, have that too. So anyway, he has a nonprofit called Home Field Advantage. And I'm like, wait a minute. And Another sports metaphor. Exactly. And so he was involved with the football program at the Air Force Academy as like an adult, as a job. And he tells me about this friend of his who's a publisher. And as I said, I have always wanted to write this book. So I wrote the first two chapters, innings, and I combined them together in a short version. And I said, let me send it to you. Tell me if you think it's worth, you know, reading, even bathroom material or whatever. So I send it to him and he goes, I hope you don't mind. I sent it to Susan. Wow. And I'm like, really? And he goes, absolutely. And so she calls me and we talk on the phone for four hours and I'm standing up here by what I call my snow globe house and um, snow's falling and, and we just talk about a plan and she tells me about her, her company, Silver Light Press. And there we go. So she takes you on as a client, I guess? Yes. Yeah. And I send her the first two chapters, not merged together as one. And she loves it. She is working on a film called Beyond the Game. Another sports affiliation. Her family is also into stock car racing like my dad was. Oh, interesting. Just all kinds of similarities and parallels. Yeah. And she's a retired um, lawyer. So she has a great team that I've been working with them for the last year and a half. And they come up with like cover designs and all the stuff that you can post on your author page. And I saw the video promo. Oh, 
thanks. As a filmmaker, you know, I, I know what goes into that yeah. and, uh, you know, marketing and stuff like that. And uh, right. I thought that, wow, that's interesting. Cause I haven't seen a lot of authors do that. Yeah. Not that I know a lot of authors. I mean, you're one of three I've ever <laughs> okay. met in my entire life, but they didn't go to that type of marketing. I thought that was a very interesting way to do that. So uh. you're publishing the book now, right? Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. is that coming out on Amazon exclusively or is that just one avenue that? That will be just one of the avenues that we all look for when we want to go, okay. you know, buy a book and the Barnes and Noble, you know, all that good stuff. So I'm glad that they're in charge of all that. Yeah. I was gonna say, that's that's exhausting. A, yeah. That's why you have an agent or somebody yeah. that can just like, okay, do that. And then. Right. Has she hit you up to write another book? I'm actually working on my next series. Oh, wow. Yeah. There's already eight of them. Really? Uh, yeah. And um, in another run it out inning. Is it an extension of what you've written now? Nope. Totally different genre. Please tell me that it's like gangster biker vampires or something. Of course. So <laughs> it's it's daughters of anarchy. No. Nice. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, it's totally opposite. But I'm going to do something totally different and light. And we're going to go with that children's series. I've always wanted to write children's books. I'm looking forward to reading your book. Well, thanks. <laughs> and uh, when is that going to come out? That should be coming out on... Opening day of Major League Baseball. Oh, that's which, right. You said that. Yeah. yeah. March um, 28th, I believe it is. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. So, it's uh, almost baseball time. I'm so excited. I know. I know. I'm so excited. So this year, you're going to have to hang out at the Vibes game with us. Yeah. Please send me the invite. Yeah, I will be yeah. there. It's an open invitation. Oh, there you go. Thanks. Yeah, anytime you want to go, because we, uh, we try to. to hit all those home games. And uh, if the stars align and things work out okay, and which I think they will, then uh, we'll be back with the vibes again this year. As yeah, a, uh, good, good. So we're looking forward to that. But uh, Lisa, thank you so much for coming to the Bear Cave today. I know we've gone a little bit long, and uh, this is going to be a challenge to cut it down yeah. <laughs> a little bit. That's always my biggest challenge, but uh, uh, I'm so happy to have you here. I've been excited to have you here for, uh, since the last time we talked, I think it was yeah. right before Christmas. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for having me on the Bear Cave and it's just been such a pleasure to hang out with you and talk about just stuff that, like you said, people from our generation. Yeah. No, the pleasure is all mine and uh, I hope you're going to come back. I would love to come back. I all would right. love to come back. We're going to count on it for sure. All right, that was our friend, author Lisa Price Waltman, and uh, get out there and get her book. It's called Run It Out When Giving Up Is Not An Option. Right, and it's it's under my maiden name, Lisa K. Price. My dad called me Lisa K. forever, but it's just my middle initial, but Lisa K. Price, yeah. All right, we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you. Thanks for coming in. Absolutely, thank you. All right, up next, it is story time with Michelle, followed by the big news with our field producer, Trevor Phipps, so don't go away. Are you tired of gambling? Or maybe gambling just isn't your thing? Then you need to come visit the historic Butte Theater, located in the heart of Cripple Creek, Colorado. Enjoy our classic melodramas, Shakespeare of the West, musicals, comedies, and our community's favorite Christmas show. The Butte is fun for the whole family. So get your tickets today at thebuttetheater.com and come join in our fun.
Back in the Bear Cave, and right now it's story time with Michelle on the Bear Cave Hotline. Hey, Michelle, how are you? Good. I think we're defrosting finally just a little bit. I was going to ask if you're chipping ice off your earlobes or uh, various (laughs) body parts up there because I know it's been cold in the Cripple Creek. Oh, my gosh, especially like on the top of the hill at the Heritage Center. Holy moly, the wind blows sideways like all the time. All the fish are going to be frozen in the bowl. Uh, yeah, really? That's us. <laughs> Get the heat turned up there. But no, I was saying the same thing with uh, my wife the other day. It's like, okay, we're going to keep this fire going all day on Monday. We were toasty warm, but my gosh, it was uh, the wind chill factor, I think, hit around 32 below. Oh, I believe it. And uh, I was outside trying to get some wood. I'm just like, nope, I'm over it. Yeah. No, I I didn't leave the house for a couple days. I mean, literally, I was like, nope. Yeah, yeah. And uh, (laughs) baby Jesus is still frozen to the ground. So he's going to be that way with the rest of the cast for a while. So, uh, yeah. Oh, shoot. Well, while we're all freezing our little uh, heinies off, I'm hoping hoping that you have a nice warm story for us for story time today. Well, no, I don't. It's not warm at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm putting my coat on and ready to fire away. All right. So since the weather has been so cold and everything, I thought, hmm, we've had some pretty wicked blizzard days, you know, snow days. But what about December of 1913? Uh-oh. That was one of the worst blizzards to hit the state of Colorado. No kidding. Yeah. So it actually started snowing on December 1st, and this thing didn't stop until December 5th. Wow. Yeah. This storm like shut down almost the entire state of Colorado, not just Cripple Creek. It was insane. Really? Wow. Yeah. And it was hard to find information, but I found what I think might be interesting. (laughs) So the worst blizzard hit Colorado December 1st and continued through December 5th. And some of the local businesses and offices in downtown Denver released employees early in anticipation, while others were soon stranded and unable to get home for a few days. Oh, man. So, yeah, I know. So as the storm ramped up, the plows were unable to keep up with the accumulating snow. And before they knew it, commuters were either unable to drive or even get to their cars. And local interurban trolley system was beginning to shut down. This is Denver, okay? <laughs> yeah, and in 1913, we're talking snow plows that are probably, you know, pushing, I don't know, 100 horsepower or something like that. So they're right. they're not big. <laughs> No. So eventually 210 trolley cars were stranded and some even had passengers trapped in them for several hours. That's how this this baby moved in. So attempts to get the commuter trains back on track literally were futile. And it was estimated that transportation lost approximately $20,000 in revenue due to the storm. And in today's money, that's approximately $619,000. That's just in revenue. Holy smokes. Yeah. The trolleys just kept going off the track. They couldn't even stay on the track because of all the snow. Oh, man. So so some of the businesses paid for hotel rooms for their employees, and soon many of the hotels were overflowing with people. And when the rooms became full, they were making up makeshift sleeping spaces in the lobbies. So we're packed to the rafters, right? (laughs) And people are complaining about, oh, I missed my flight at the airport. (laughs) 
<laughs> so it was apparent that the city officials had to do something about housing all the stranded workers and citizens stuck downtown. And eventually they opened up some municipal buildings, including the auditorium, to temporarily house folks who could not afford hotel rooms. Men, women and even children would find themselves temporarily homeless during this event. Wow. wow. I mean, <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> Should have packed that extra sandwich this morning. Right? <laughs> so as the storm raged on up in northern Colorado, ranchers were losing livestock either by the storm itself or collapsing sheds and barns. In Fort Collins, one rancher saved only 40 cattle out of 200. Oh, Yikes. my gosh. And there's other livestock, sheep, anybody. I mean, anybody who had any livestock was losing animals just in the storm so and then down south in trinidad between two and three thousand striking miners and their families were stranded in tent colonies Oh, <laughs> talk about insult to injury. Yeah, no kidding. And in efforts to get to supplies were next to nothing because nobody was moving. There was no transit moving anywhere because you couldn't go anywhere. Good Lord. <laughs> so major trains throughout the state became stranded for days. If they did get through, they were running two to 14 hours late. And one of those trains was the short line, which carried passengers from Colorado Springs to Cripple Creek. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow. So it was actually stuck at the summit, which is one of the highest mountain points in the state. Five rotary plow engines tried for most of the day to reach Strand a train, but they couldn't get there. Fortunately, the train was well provisioned, so the 32 passengers would be all right for at least a couple of days. Days were anticipating. Jeez. <laughs> Well, remember the daughter party and um, <laughs> right, <laughs> mommy, I'm hungry. Yeah, tough it out, kid. Uh, so eventually, food and coal supplies obviously were dwindling since few deliveries could be made. However, the storm began to break and supply lines began to open up again. Unfortunately, several folks either came up missing or were found dead while uh, trying to attempt to traverse the storm. Oh boy. It's like, don't leave your house. Don't go out and storm, right? Yeah, I got to get you the train. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> right? So I found this newspaper article uh, out of Leadville, and it was written on December 7th, and it said that Cripple Creek is in a critical condition due to the blizzard. The power plant had burned to the ground. The town is in absolute darkness, save the lights from candles and coal oil lamps. 15 feet of 15 feet of snow oh covers God. the district. Six business houses were practically destroyed by the wind, and scores of other dwellings and business houses were badly damaged. And regarding the stranded short line train, a relief party left Colorado Springs today on snowshoes and skis carrying provisions and it's hoped that they will be able to reach the train and get enough food to the crew and the passengers oh, to maintain life until they can be rescued. I cannot even imagine 15 feet of snow. I, I know. Now I'll, I'll go back and I know there's some photographs of it and I'll try to find those and get them posted but I never really read the story and I didn't realize, I mean I knew Cripple Creek and Victor got hit hard. I didn't realize this was like a statewide freaking storm that just, I mean, it was brutal, absolutely brutal. How many people lost their lives in that storm? You know, I could not find any numbers as far as how many people were dead. There was a lot of people that were found in drifts barely alive but they did survive oh, but man. it was just it was awful it's just awful and like i said it was hard to find information on this but i i knew about it and i just i found what i could and i thought those were just the biggest snippets it's like think about the livestock issue i mean 
Yeah, you, you can't even get to your animals. It's impossible. No. And there's no snowmobiles. There's none of that kind of stuff. This is 1913. Exactly. Exactly. So that was the biggest part is, yeah, they were still delivering coal and food with yeah. horses and wagons, you know? <laughs> Well, you said something about the power plant burning down? Yeah, and I'd never heard of that before. Oh, that's wild. So, I, yeah, I found that very interesting. So, when I get back into the library and start doing research again, I'm going to go to December of 1913 and, you know, get the local news and see exactly what was going on. It kind of tells you how soft we've gotten since then, right? Because we're complaining about, uh, you know, it's going to be below zero for a few days. I mean, I know this last storm that went through northern Colorado got hit really hard. Yeah. And west of Breckenridge and some of those areas. But, yeah, we're here in the banana belt, so we haven't got anything to bitch about, I don't think. No, no. And it was funny, the the one good, happy silver lining of this whole thing was the fact that the um, farmers were totally stoked because all the moisture that was produced from this was going to probably provide enough irrigation water for about, I think it said like a million acres of land. Oh, wow. And so they're sitting there going, yeah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, when we start planting, we got water. <laughs> yeah, Mother Nature has a plan. Okay, we're going to throw you a bone after we just destroyed everything else for <laughs> right? five days. <laughs> That's incredible. That That is amazing. And even back then, I mean, there were places, you know, houses that only had maybe a, a wood-burning fireplace right, and things like right. that. Jeez, horrible. I really feel bad for all the prostitutes who were losing money that whole time. Yeah, no kidding. They couldn't go anywhere either. <laughs> yeah, what a tragedy. <laughs> so that was the great storm of December 1913. Holy smokes. I'm not going to complain that much, but I, 15, I go back to this whole 15 feet of snow. That blows my mind. Oh, the, the photos are just like, <laughs> they're walls. It, it's walls of snow, you know? <laughs> That's like to the top of your house in some cases, right. you know? Right, yeah. Wow. There was a point even they were also hiring men to come in and shovel up in Denver and they were paying $2.50 a day, which is about $77 today. Jeez. So $77 a day. And they got like over 200 men and hand shovel the streets and the <laughs> sidewalks in Denver. Yeah. Hand shovel. <laughs> yeah. No snow blowers. There are snowflakes. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So you're right. Yeah. Let's think about where we are today. It's like, wow, at least we can weather those kind of storms these days. Yeah. A little bit of gratitude goes a long way. So uh, absolutely. <laughs> buck up people. Right. Well, speaking of cold and icy weather, we've got a big party coming up here in a few short weeks, right? Oh man, do we ever. Ice Festival is on. Yes. So starting February 17th, all the way through the 25th, we're going to have the big ice festival. I forgot what year we're in. We've been doing this for quite a while. And if you haven't gotten up here, it's gotten better and better every year. The carvers are amazing. I mean, you saw some of the sculptures last year. Man, I'll tell you what, this is an event I've been looking forward to since, um, I don't know, October, you know, when it starts getting cold, I'm like, hey man, Ice Festival's coming up. Yep. The only thing I anticipate more than Ice Festival is baseball. You know, right. <laughs> and that's just around the corner. So, man, I am so looking forward to Ice Fest this year because I know it's going to be different. You guys have been working really hard on it. I'm stoked. It's going to be totally different. I mean, last year was a hard lesson we learned about. It was just so compact and so crowded. It was uncomfortable. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah. literally was uncomfortable. So the marketing department, all the folks involved have really looked at it differently. Um, everything's going to be spread out a little bit further as far as vendors and all that stuff. But 
Carvers are going to be in the same place in front of the Triple Crown, but they're having the competitions relocated somewhere else so more people can see it, you know. So a lot of thoughts gone into it. It should be amazing. And then with ice castles on top of that, a lot of the museums are going to be opening up. All the local businesses will be open, restaurants. So there's going to be a lot of cool stuff to do. Oh, cool. Get it. Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, the other thing, too, is like, for the most part, construction is done in the front of uh, Chamonix, so that kind of opens things up as well, which is going to be nice. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like I said, all that comes together. Everybody has to have those conversations. As far as I know, we're also going to have a shuttle, city shuttle, that'll be running just a regular circular route uh, starting at the Heritage Center, so you can park your car up at the Heritage Center because parking is going to be very, very tight. Um, So I highly recommend park up there, take the shuttle down, and um, like I said, it's just going to have a regular route, and I'll have that posted on social media so we know where where it's running. So it'll take you right downtown, and you can walk to Ice Castles from downtown. It's that close, so. I was kind of surprised that people didn't take more advantage of that last year. I think they did the second weekend of uh, Ice Fest. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, all you got to do is park up there. You can uh, run to the Heritage Center, check that out, and then uh, jump on the shuttle and head on down have a great time. Yeah. Parking is going to be pretty much a mess. I ain't going to lie, especially with the ice castles going on. Absolutely. And, you know, we're talking potential ticketing and stuff. So pay attention to those signs that when it says you can't park here, don't park there. (laughs) Yeah. Don't park by the police station. Right. (laughs) Those spaces are there for a reason. Yeah. And you can probably feed a donkey or two while you're up there as well. I believe they are going to move a couple donkeys into town. So absolutely get them a little bit fatter than they already are. Yeah, yeah. Feed those bad boys, that's for sure. Yeah, you can score one of those sweet Elmer Fudd hats while you're up there. Oh, God, yes. I already have those on order. They'll be there for sure. Those things went fast. I know I'll probably end up doing the second order, but that's cool. Well, you always get the people, the lowlanders, I call them, when they come up, they go, oh, the sunshine's asking me great. And you get up there, it's like, man, it is still kind of cold. So Exactly, yeah. Did yeah. you bring a hat? No. Did you bring gloves? No. Well, we know where you can get them. <laughs> exactly. Go that way. Yeah, it's uh, right behind the brontosaurus legs. You can go ahead and, and buy all the swag that you need to stay warm. Uh, and like I said, all the local stores and shops will be open too. So, you know, go in there and support small local businesses as well. Agreed. And uh, I think the Butte probably is spinning up again now too, aren't they? They do. They have a show starting this Friday, the 19th, called Crimes in the Heart. It is a local production. So get in there, see that. It runs from January 19th through February 5th. And I know they're going to be doing something during Ice Festival. We'll just have to catch up with Zach and find out exactly what that is. Yeah, I've got to apologize too. I've been trying to connect with Zach the last couple of weeks, but uh, I know he's in New York this week and he's doing some things and uh, we'll get him on. Uh, maybe next week we'll try to get him in. No, yeah, we need to yeah check in with him and find out what the Butte's doing. Yep, we'll rope him in for sure. But uh, in the meantime, uh, you stay warm. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> People driving up there because I know the traffic's been pretty busy and uh, yeah. just got to pay attention. Yeah, take your time, uh, get up here safe and pay attention. Exactly. Well, good talking to you again, as always. And uh, you take care. We'll talk to you again next week. Sounds good. We'll talk to y'all soon. All right. Bye, Michelle. Bye. That was Michelle Roselle calling us from Cripple Creek. And up next on the Bear Cave Hotline, it's our field producer, Trevor Phipps, with the big news. Hey, Trevor, how you doing, man? You chipping icicles off your head? 
No, I stayed in where it's warm. I really haven't had that problem. <laughs> yeah, me too. You're one of the smart guys. It's like, hey, look, if it's getting to zero, below zero, I am not moving away from a fireplace or someplace warm. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, after last week, man, I don't know what's going on, but um, what's the story this week? Well, probably the biggest news this week is just the tax break that, that have been given for property taxes as a result of Senate Bill 23108, which was actually drafted by our Taylor County Commissioner, Eric Stone, and he got it pushed through the state senator, Mark Baisley. They were saying even the governor, Governor Jared Polis, said that it was the best legislation that had to do with taxes that was passed through that year. Before... In municipalities and county commissioners, they could always lower taxes. You can always lower taxes without a vote. They could lower taxes because the valuations were skyrocketing. But then in order to raise them again, when the market valuations went back down, they would have to go to a vote to get the taxes raised back up. So this legislation, what it really did is it just clarified the power of the counties to only temporarily lower it for a year. So now they'll revisit it another year and they can just take away the reduction if they need to, or they can continue the reduction or they can increase or reduce the reduction. So now that that got passed, all your special taxing districts and all your municipalities have the right to lower taxes. I got to throw some props out to to the commish because uh, I know how hard he worked and how many miles he put on his vehicle last year getting that stuff passed. So good for him and uh, good for us. Yeah, and that one's going to be even a little more significant, I guess. Property taxes reductions in basically two ways. Two state legislator things that are giving us tax money back. One of them has happened in the special session, and then another one was from a couple of years ago that's still in effect. The commissioners are giving back a certain amount, too. But in total, it's going to be $2.7 million is what they're giving back to property owners, which is actually higher. Originally, their plan was two point two. When they actually got down to it, they were able to jump that number up to 2.7. You know, I tried asking the county commissioners for some sort of relatable way to say that as far as, you know, an average homeowner or average house. And since it varies so much, all they could really come up with was like, on average, the property taxes are going to be lowered by about 25%. Any kind of relief is a plus as far as I'm concerned. Well, really all that means, though, is that our property taxes aren't going to go up as much. They're still going to be, I think it's 6.06% of an increase. But that is actually lower than what inflation has been. Exactly. So how people are going to know is when the, the tax bills for 2024 get sent out in the next couple of weeks, there will be a credit on there from the county commissioners. And then there will also be some credits you're getting won't be shown because it actually goes to the, the assessor's office because they change the amount of money that's exempt from taxes. So it won't be like nobody's getting a check. You'll see it on your bill. You'll just have to pay less than you would have had to pay. Yeah. And don't make any hateful emails or phone calls to Carol Kittleson either. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Leave that lady alone. Yeah. And really, she is kind of the one behind all this because she saw this coming two years ago and went to the county commissioners anticipating it before it happened and gave a presentation to the county commissioners saying, this is what we're going to look at in 2023. And so that's when the county commissioners actually started the process. It was actually two years ago. And they started coming up with ways. And it was because Carol came up to them 
ahead of time and jumped on it because she anticipated what was going to happen. She actually kind of saved the state in a way if you look at it. The legislature is back in session again, so we're just waiting for the fallout from some more crazy bills or crazy laws. Yeah, and that was one thing they talked about the commissioner meeting last week was the, that the legislative session started and there's a lot of stuff that they're going to be pushing and fighting against. Yeah, and that noise that you hear in the background, that's Trevor and I just scratching our fingernails onto the chalkboard right now. We're holding on to see what happens next. Oh, well, well mountain lion hunting is going to be a big issue. That's going to be the next one that kind of comes up. Oh, man. <laughs> I just can't even go there. I'm still trying to process all the stuff that happened last week from armed robberies and bombs going off and, or I should say, uh, explosive devices. I don't know if it was a bomb or not, but anyway, so let's kind of move on to some sports. I don't know if you caught a lot of the playoff games, but they were pretty interesting. Yeah. You know, I was kind of disappointed, honestly, like usually wild card weekends, one of the best weekends I like to watch because the games are close and, they were all blowouts except the Detroit Lions and Rams game. That one was close. That was an awesome game. But the other ones you know, were kind of shocking. I didn't think the Buccaneers would beat the Eagles like they did. I definitely Green Bay came out of nowhere. I didn't think they were going to beat the Cowboys. Hey, remember I said Green Bay? They're the team that's kind of getting it all together. And that uh, that young quarterback they have. They look good. I mean, I'm kind of my second team in the San Francisco 49ers. And I'm a little worried about next week. I wanted the Packers to win because I was thinking I'd rather face the Packers than the Cowboys, but after watching them play last week, I don't know. Boy, they smoked the Cowboys. It wasn't even close. 49ers have a better defense than the Cowboys, so I'm kind of banking on that. Well, you know, the thing was is that uh, they ran up 32 points on the Packers, but it was all garbage time at that point, you know, because they were so far ahead. Yeah, they put their backup quarterback in. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, they did. They pulled their starters. It's just been one of those seasons where you don't really know what to predict, and with all the firings that are going on, who knows, you know? I'm thinking Jim Harbaugh is probably going to go to the Chargers as the new coach. But, you, you know, you don't know. It's all about money. There's one game with all the backup quarterbacks in. There was, for one week in the NFL, there's three previous Bronco quarterbacks that were playing that week. You had Case Keenum, then you had Joe Flacco for Cleveland, and then you had Drew Locke, who is playing for Seattle. Yeah. All three of them <laughs> put up better statistics that week than Russell Wilson did. Ouch. oh man oh well we'll see what happens but uh hey the good news is is that we're getting closer to baseball season (laughs) i say that every year yeah it's january i'm already thinking about baseball and slowly losing interest in the nfl a little bit (laughs) things are looking up in fact uh we're gonna be talking some vibes baseball here pretty soon i can't help it man i'm just ready it won't be long before we're taking that trip down to the baseball field and just uh sitting back and watching the vibes i'm hoping they'll do good things this year they'll have a good team i would say it was a successful season last year oh absolutely there's definitely room for improvement their first half of the season was a little rough well with uh les lancaster coming on as the manager now he's been recruiting from all of the country really so it's going to be kind of exciting and uh, maybe we can get him in here sometime and talk about his strategy All right, Trevor. Well, next week, I think we can start talking about high school sports a little bit because things are probably starting to gear up by then. And um, in the meantime, you stay warm and I'll talk to you again soon. All right. That sounds like a plan. You have a good day. All right, my friend. You too. Talk to you soon. All right. All right. That was our field producer, Trevor Phipps. And when we come back, it's news of the weird and find out who made it onto the bear pile this week. Don't go away.
By making gradual changes in your life, you can achieve your goals. Perhaps it's a change in your diet, losing a few pounds, or reducing stress. You can always improve your health. If you want to explore ideas on how to achieve a more mindful and healthier way of life, then you've come to the right place. Animus Wellbeing in Woodland Park, Colorado offers nutritional consultations. We work with you to design a program that fits your specific needs to help you enjoy a better quality of life. So check us out at animuswellbeing.com. That's A-N-I-M-A-S-W-E-L-L-B-E-I-N-G.com. Or call us at 818-400-1456. Let us help you to achieve a life of optimal well-being. Cave. I'm Dennis Zerl, and it is now time for News of the Weird. This week's headline reads, Reoccurring Theme. And the reason I say reoccurring theme, because there's two stories that are kind of similar, so uh, we thought we'd just kind of do them both. Authorities are still fishing for a man who entered a Bass Pro Shop store in Fort Myers, Florida, and dipped a net into the indoor fish pond, capturing a 50-pound tarpon. Wow, that's big. The suspect left the store with the dripping catch, and despite a cash reward and social media posts, the Lee County Sheriff's Office has not been able to identify him. Well, that shouldn't be hard to find with all those cameras, but uh, you never know. Meanwhile, authorities were called to Leeds, Alabama Bass Pro Shops after a 42-year-old man by the name of George Owens of Sterrett drove a car into a pole in the parking lot, then exited the car, stripped off all his clothes, and ran inside where he did a cannonball into the aquarium. (laughs) Well, when he got out of the aquarium, he fell onto the concrete floor and knocked himself out. He was charged with public lewdness, among other offenses. You just can't make this up. Okay, I've got to admit that this is a tough one, but obviously one of these two geniuses is definitely going to make it onto the bear pile. As you know by now, each week we nominate a person, place, and or thing that should be tossed onto the bear pile to be eaten by the bears. From last week's nominations, the person, place, and or thing to feed some hungry bears on the hairy pile is... And honestly, this is a no-brainer because it is Presidente Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador of Mexico for trying to commit extortion against the United States. Yeah, like we said last week, Andy, we know Joe is kind of slow on the uptake, but even he can't be this stupid. Uh, then again, the nominations this week for the honor of diving onto the bear pile are number one, and it's a twofer. Dr. Anthony Fakey and his boss, Dr. Francis Collins, for, well, I'm just going to come out and say it, lying and committing voluntary murder of millions of people on planet Earth. Look, Frank, I don't know what it was that made you finally come correct, but you had better convince your boyfriend, Anthony, that he needs to do the same thing. I also think we should freeze their bank accounts because when the lawsuits start to fly, they're going to need every penny. 
that they uh, acquired from the Chinese government or stole from the American people. And for God's sake, politicians, stop giving China cash and an open door to kill the rest of the world, will you? Number two, disgraced former president of Harvard University, Claudine Gay, for ripping off someone else's work and claiming it for her own. Yeah, figures you would quit, Claudine, after Congress asked you to produce those uh, communications and documentations of all your work. Just kind of makes me wonder how many other political science phonies have followed in your footsteps. Yeah, I wonder if they still brand traitors these days, but uh, anyway, just a thought. And number three, and it was a tough one because both of these idiots deserve to be placed on the bear pile, but George Owens gets the nod for skinny dipping onto the Bass Pro Shop's aquarium only to emerge from the water and knock himself out on the concrete. <laughs> and this is after he crashed his vehicle into a light pole outside of the store. Yeah, it kind of makes me wonder if he was a customer of that drug dealer that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Or uh, eh, maybe he just needed a bath. Well, Dozer's music is playing, which means that's a wrap for me this week. I would like to thank our sponsors, Abode Real Estate, The Butte Theater, and Animus Wellbeing. I want to thank my guest today, author Lisa Price-Waltman. It was a great conversation, and I hope that she comes back in the bear cave at some point. And you know what, Lisa? I hope you sell a bazillion copies. Thanks to my producing partner for bringing us another interesting story time, and of course, our field producer, Trevor Phipps, with the big news. If you have an event coming up or you want to sponsor the show, you can reach us on our Facebook page, This Week in the Bear Cave, or our Instagram page by the same name. And you can send your comments and hate mail to thisweekinthebearcave at gmail.com. You can access the show on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, RadioPublic.com, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our celebrity not-so-celebrity guest next week is going to be, uh, you guessed it, Doctors Anthony Fakey and his partner in crime, Dr. Francis Collins. Yeah, we want to let them know that the Bear Cave is paying for their move to Wuhan, China permanently. Good night and goodbye. Yeah, it also includes free admission to the all-you-can-eat bat soup bar. Presidente Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador of Mexico was supposed to be on the Bear Cave hotline today, but we're told that he is busy meeting with his cartel banker. Yeah, just gotta figure out another way to extort the U.S. Uh, maybe you should call that Hunter guy. He seems to know how to make that shady money and stay out of prison, at least so far. Until next week, Cubs, be well and thanks for listening. Sweet dreams, Sam and Max. This Week in the Bear Cave is produced by Analyst Productions, all rights reserved in perpetuity.